Hello and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And, well, Doug's not here. That's okay, though, because we have guests. Yes, as in more than one. Who are they, Elijah? <laughs> well, uh, coming uh, weighing in at uh, whopping 21 pounds soaking wet, wow. we have Logan Grunenfelder in this hey, corner. Hey, Logan. All very true. I'm happy to be here. And in the opposite corner, we have Wade McLamory. Weighing a whole one pound soaking wet. And I, I regret that metaphor now because it makes it sound like they're on opposite sides of this discussion, which is not true. But anyway, that's who we have here today. Well, Wade, a lot, or Wade, Logan, thank y'all for joining us this week. Uh, why, why are y'all, why are y'all here? I'm a big fan of Wes Anderson, and I heard we were watching one of his flicks, so I rushed right on over. What a what a fella! What a fella indeed! I was in the room while y'all were watching this film. So you could say <laughs> that I, you were in the room where it happens. Oh my! I guess if you oh wanted my. to. We can't. Uh, I mean that that's copyrighted. We can't use that. I'm actually. a big uh, Wes Anderson fan too. So I, all right, here I am. Well. Two big Wes Anderson fi- Well, three, I guess, if you include Tristan. Did we watch a Wes Anderson film this week? Uh, I think we I think we did. Yeah, I think we did do that. Um, ben, which one was it we watched? Well, I'm glad you asked me. Uh, we watched, I don't know what year it came out, but we watched The Darjeeling Limited. 2007, I think? Yeah, 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 2007. Right. It sure did. Um, and Tristan, you know a lot more about this movie than I do, so I'm going to... Pass it right on back. Well, you know, it's got it's got your, your favorite Wes Anderson cast members. Um, it's got Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, Jason Schwartzman. They're like in every one of his movies. Um, you've got, of course, Bill Murray makes an appearance. Um, those are, I mean, you're, and Angelica Houston is in it as well. She's, she's an alum. Um, but the three boys I mentioned at the beginning are our three main boys. Um, and like I said, directed by Wes Anderson, also written by Wes Anderson and Jason Schwartzman worked on this. He wrote it as well. And Roman Coppola. Um, all three of those boys wrote this movie. It's got a 7.2 on IMDb and, uh, you know, the Google review. We all like that one. Four out of five, straight up four out of five. Rotten Tomatoes gives us a 90, uh, 69 percent which i think is rotten isn't it maybe is that audience or critics oh i don't know it's one of them it's 7.2 on imdb and that's the only one i care about all right that's a that's a pretty good score that's well it's a it's an above average it's score. it's a fair score it's a passing grade yeah that's that's true so tristan what's this movie about go uh, well i'm glad you asked um <laughs> it, it, that's that's an interesting question it's not there's not like a plot, really. I, guess, I mean, there's a plot, of course, but there's not like a, a circumstance that that um, there's no driving force externally that is happening. Like the world is not ending, aliens are not invading. There's no like there's no predetermined uh, path from point A to point B that the main characters are trying to progress through. Yes, good, good, this, good one. It's not very plot focused. It's obviously very character focused. Yeah. And, I mean, we follow these three brothers, and they get on a train called the Darjeeling Limited, and, um, you know, they uh, they go through India, and they make a lot of stops, and that's really the plot. Um, that's what happens, but there's a lot more that happens within themselves, and as brothers, and as just a unit, they all grow a lot, and by the end of the movie, um, they're a lot more whole, or at least they're on their way to being more whole. 
And if there was a driving force to jurisdict a plot, I guess a lot of what happens is on account of the oldest brother trying to reconnect the family. That seems to be, if there were a plot to this, that's his goal. And things don't turn out as explicitly that way. So that's why it's hard to determine a plot. But that is the person with a concrete goal, which is to try to get him and his brothers back into the swing of things together. Yeah. I Now, I think I was, well, except for Wade. So Wade and I are the only ones who have seen this movie before. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yes. So I guess we can talk about experience. Since none of you have seen it, except for Wade and myself, what's your experience with Wes Anderson in general? Oh. Uh, every Wes Anderson film that I've watched, I've watched with Tristan and Logan. Uh, and before tonight, that's just uh, Budapest Hotel and Mr. Fox. As it should be. No, yeah, Are you but not I'm there ne- when we watched Isle of Dogs? No, I didn't see that. I haven't seen the other big ones either. Uh, Rushmore, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's a bit, yeah, I haven't seen any of the other big ones. For me, my freshman year of college, my friend David Lawson came over from Georgia Tech, and he was like, Shout let's out. watch, yeah, let's watch uh, Grand <laughs> David, Budapest we know you're Hotel. listening. <laughs> and then I was like, all right, sounds good. And then we watched it, and then I was like, I liked that a lot. But then I put in Moulin Rouge to show them, and my friend Austin liked it, and David said it was pretentious. And then I immediately got very defensive, and I said, Wes Anderson's 20 times more pretentious than Boz Lerman. And then we went on like that for a while. So I had a bad taste in my mouth at first with uh, Wes Anderson, but that was because of you, David. But also, you exposed it to me, so thank you for that. Then I went on to watch Fantastic Mr. Fox, Life Aquatic, Isle of Dogs, Midnight Premiere, at least what people call a Midnight Premiere now. It's like 9 p.m. And uh, Moonrise Kingdom. And I've loved all of them, including Grand Budapest Hotel after watching it again after that experience. All right. Uh, So I have seen a few different uh, Wes Anderson films. I've seen Isle of Dogs. I've seen Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, I've seen uh, now this. I've seen uh, The Royal Tenenbaums. Um, when did you see the Royal Tenant Bombs and why? Uh, I saw it in a literature and film class that I took in college. That makes sense. Uh, I really enjoyed that one. Um, I would have to watch it again, but I would probably say that either that or Fantastic Mr. Fox is my favorite Wes Anderson film. I think it's also important to know that those are the only four I've seen. Yeah. So yeah. obviously my experience is very limited. But I mean, I think in general, a lot of people's experience is kind of limited with Wes Anderson. So Tristan, Wade, Logan, I know y'all are a little bit more experienced with Wes. So to the common listener, why should we check out Wes? Uh, well, Wes Anderson just has a very distinct style. Um, you can you can always tell when you're watching something that's produced by Wes Anderson. And I guess if you like it, you like it. And if you really don't, then you're just not going to have a good time watching Wes Anderson. Um, as far as, like, that's as far as his aesthetic goes. Like, it just looks like Wes Anderson. But I think also the acting style is very, very much Wes Anderson, or at least the way he chooses to direct his actors. And I th- I think, and please tell me what y'all think, like... It's really human in the way that it's inhuman. Like, it's they're all awkward. Like, all of his characters like, are, like, socially inept. But yeah. it's, it's really human in a way. It's, like, how you feel. 
like they act in the way that you feel inside but you don't actually behave that way yeah i don't know if it's i mean it's certainly it's i mean a lot of his movies are socially awkward but in this one in particular i don't know if i've ever felt that way you know about it uh, i did at least not not in a large way like i didn't it didn't feel like there was something wrong with what they were saying i guess it just felt like what wade just said like they were feeling a, a particular way and they just said it but that i didn't that didn't strike me as like an incorrect way of doing things i guess i don't know i mean it's like there's kind of a formula with the dialogue in his movies they'll be talking about like a normal conversation and then one of them will like take an awkward pause say a really funny one-liner then go walk away out of characteristically you know what i meant to say they would just walk away all of a sudden or some sort of head movement and just like little quirky sudden things like that and so that way he gets what they want to say across but then they also keep your attention really well because then something bonkers will happen but very subtle at the same time and it's all surrounded by a very dry humor and yeah i mean you just have to watch some of his movies because it is unique to just him and it's pretty wacky but also very tame at the same time so for a novice uh wes anderson film watcher what movies would you suggest fantastic moo moo foxy for sure (laughs) i think fantastic mr fox is uh i mean it was the one that got me into him at least because i think it's good for a very general audience it's not so severely like his other movies as far as that tone that I was just talking about. And I mean, kids would enjoy it. Adults would enjoy it. I think it's his most all around versatile movie for audiences. And I think it's the one that's the most straightforwardly funny. Like it tries to be a comedy a lot of the time and it succeeds. And just uh, watching it at stop motion with the voice acting is very charming and it makes it, a lot funnier hearing Owen Wilson as a coach badger person. Uh, it, if you're, if you're looking for a family friendly movie, I think definitely fantastic Fox is the way to go. If, I mean, if you're starting your Wes Anderson journey, I started with moonrise kingdom, which is a weird one to start with. Cause it's very Wes Anderson and it's very like art. It feels very artsy and it's like, a lot of these one-liners that Logan mentioned, but they're not like they're they're funny, but they also equally mean something deep as well, typically. So, yeah, uh, I mean, if you're looking for something family-friendly, Fantastic Fox. If you're just a bunch of adults like wanting something deep, or or maybe I don't know, something that means something, I think you should watch the, Dar- the Darjeeling Limited uh, as your first one. So, and I <clears throat> I know very little about Wes Anderson films, but part of it is the way he very carefully plans out each shot and what's going to be in it. The colors are very carefully planned. You see the same colors a lot used in uh, kind of similar ways, like this, this movie does a lot with that uh, really bright shade of yellow that you see, uh, you know, home slices uh bathrobe that he swiped from the hotel like there's that shade of yellow just kind of shows up throughout the entire film things like that that he just i guess just for aesthetic purposes he just latches onto a few colors right 
Yeah. Yeah, and you can pretty much in every movie of his has like a really specific color palette. Like Grand Budapest Hotel has a really strong like pink purple color palette about it. Uh, which, by the way, would be my suggestion for a first one. Maybe because it was my first Wes Anderson, my first Wes Anderson movie, and also one of my top five favorite movies of all time. But I think it's just enough Wes Anderson that you get to know what his style's like, but also still a normal enough movie that you could enjoy it. If you don't like Grand Budapest at all, I think you might as well go ahead and stop there because I don't think you're going to like Wes Anderson very much. And I am going to agree with you since it was my first one too. And I did love it despite what me and David got into after the fact. Okay. It was fantastic. Now, back to that discussion, talking about pretentiousness. Is Wes Anderson pretentious? Yes. Yes. Okay. You know, they- but not as pretentious as his fans. <laughs> okay. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, they, they, they say. <laughs> Go ahead, Tristan. I'm wearing a card again. <laughs> they say... And you look good. <coughs> they say you don't come up with a style when you're an artist until like 20 years when you're into it. Like it, it A lot of people who do this type of thing, you know, they, they don't really find what, what, their, what their style is until later on. But I've seen, I've seen every Wes Anderson movie except for his first one, Bottle Rocket. Um, and Wes had a style like early, like he knew what he wanted and he's definitely perfected it. Like if you go back and watch Rushmore, his, his first, I would argue his first real like marketable full length movie, um, besides the bottle rocket, which has its own like Rocky history. And then compare that to Grand Budapest Hotel. Very they're, like, they're different. Like his, his, his aesthetic is cemented in Grand Budapest More Hotel. Refined. Yeah. And then in Rushmore it's it's far less refined, but it's still there. It it's still like you could you watch Rushmore, you say, This is a Wes Anderson movie. You watch Grand Budapest Hotel, you say, This this is a Wes Anderson movie. You know what I mean? Like it's very obvious. Yeah, it's like I've seen the memes that are like accidentally Wes Anderson or people just take a picture of something that looks like a frame from one of his movies because of you know, the way everything is placed, the way everything's positioned, and the very vibrant color, one or two colors that really stand out. And apparently there's people out there who just see scenes like that and go, I'm in a Wes Anderson film, and then they make memes about it. I've experienced things in real life that have happened to me, and I say, Wes, are you nearby with a camera? You should have gotten that. It's all very symmetrical like hard lines there aren't a lot there aren't a lot of like curves in like the way that he sets things up yeah i'm not gonna claim to know a ton about filmography and camera capturing placement everything but i will say i know the rule of thirds and i love that he goes against that and just places a lot of the time the main focus of the scene just front and center a lot of the time you'll see the actors just very symmetrically front and center looking straight at the camera. And that is when one of those moments where he feels the most in touch with humans and like how we actually work in real life, because you just see the actor, you see the character and they're just staring straight at you. All of their features 
completely embodied. Nothing is hiding, and it's all just completely out there and transparent. And so I really like him doing his own thing and just placing things very symmetrically and right there in the center. You know, something I learned in photography school um, is... (laughs) It's it's not you know it's not always the most important thing to go by the rule of thirds, like so many there's so many good photographs where there's things happening in the very corners of the picture and it's like that's what makes the image you know, um, so just looking at it from a cinematography perspective, um, th- there's there's just always things that you can put in the frame and as long as it's within the frame. It doesn't matter where it's at, where it's placed. Like, it's the emphasis, it's the colors, it's what you do with that that's in the frame. And there are wrong ways to do it. Like, if you just had a little head peeking in the bottom left-hand corner, and that's the shot. I'm sure, I, I know Wes has done I can't. I can't give you an exact thing, but I, I've, <laughs> I've seen it. I know I've seen it. Hey guys, what's up? It's your old pal Ben. Y'all know why I'm here. I've got some announcements. Before I get to that though, I do just want to take a quick second and say thank you to listening. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the podcast and honestly, I hope you're having a great week. You know, it's Thanksgiving this week. I hope you are getting uh, the opportunity to spend some time with your family. Uh, I know things are looking a little different this year, but um, I hope you are still getting that opportunity in some fashion. One thing I'm really thankful for this year is the support that each and every one of you gives us. I mean, taking the time out of your day to come listen to a bunch of guys talk about movies. Honestly, there's probably more productive things you could be doing, but the fact that you've taken some time to come listen to us anyway, that's awesome. If you want to keep showing that support, one great thing that you can do is share us with your friends. Uh, they like movies. Do they like podcasts? Well, this is perfect for them. Uh, something else you can do, you can go on to our website, vitermedia.com, and check out our merch store. We've got some stickers, we've got some buttons. Is there something else you want to see? Let us know. Uh, one other thing you can do, you can check us out on Patreon. We've got some behind-the-scenes stuff, we've got early access episodes, all sorts of cool stuff. Same thing with the merch store. If there's something else you want to see, let us know. You can check all that out at patreon.com slash vitermedia. Uh, be sure to check out the other Vitermedia products. We've got Tea with Doug G., Uh, We've got the Flea Pit. They're both awesome. Check them out. Now, let's get back to the show. Well, maybe it's good. I'm still still chewing on this whole Wes Anderson thing. Uh, I'm not ready to sign on as a fanboy like you guys yet. Because, like, I see a lot of the merit in movies like the one we just watched, but also I think every Wes Anderson film that I've seen thus far has bored me at least a little. Not the movie in general, but like at least a little bit. I was like, all right, this is, uh, this is starting to drag. Can we wrap it up? <laughs> and um, I, one of the Wes Anderson films that I've seen, I've now seen twice, and I, I thought, this is not nearly as rewatchable as I thought it was going to be. And I'm afraid I'm going to think that about the other ones that I've seen too. I might need to rewatch Budapest hotel and see what I think, but it's just like, it's like, I get it. I see the humor. I see the aesthetic. And then it's like, after an hour of that, it's like, all right, let's bring it on home. (laughs) That's kind of how I feel. 
I get that. Like, um, specifically with, um, you know, the Darjeeling Limited, it's only like an hour and a half long. It felt a whole lot longer. Yeah. Well, we also watched the short film prequel twice, so that's part of the reason I'm fatigued. I mean, like, even when I was watching it last night, because I didn't watch it with the rest of the guys, um, like, it... I definitely see where you're coming from. Like it drags and um, I, I think that's a common trait among his films. Uh, I think part of that comes from just not really always having like a through plot. Like his films tend to be much more character focused. And I think just kind of as a result of that tend to have some moments that drag a little bit more. There's no breaks in a Wes Anderson movie. Like he's going. Like, the whole thing's going to happen. He's and very efficient to, with his time. If you have to go to the bathroom or go to do something, like, forget about it. Like, we need to pause the movie because you're going to miss something. Like a new color. Yeah. That happened once. Created new colors. That's what he does. Well, I would disagree a little bit because there was definitely a moment in this movie when the climax happened. And then afterwards, it was a lot of uh, walking around. And that is a good time for the audience to reflect. But it's still a break in things. But it... It is important to reflect after those things. Yeah, so. I think. Yeah, one, exactly. One other thing but that nothing I think that I've noticed about him is that he lingers on shots. He he loves to linger on something to let you drink in what you're seeing. And there are times when I think that kind of thing in a movie is really powerful. But I think that may be part of the reason that I'm feeling fatigued because it's like, all right, I know what this actor's face looks like. You don't need to linger on it for another second. Like, we could cut a lot of those moments out. And something with Darjeeling Limited specifically is, uh, personally, I think it's not a subtle movie at all. Like, it takes all of the metaphors and it makes them, uh, as Logan put it earlier, very digestible, very straightforward something i that's something i do not like about the darjeeling limited i i don't want you to just throw it on the floor for me i want to like go and digging for the theme a little yeah, bit more yeah, yeah. and it's very obvious and just in your face with the metaphors right in this movie at one point they literally spell it out for you um i don't know if we're talking about that yet sure yeah it's when they're uh in the bathroom at yeah. the sink so it's the oldest brother, right? Owen Wilson is the oldest brother. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who's been trying to get them together on the spiritual journey to find healing the whole time. And also, the whole time, his face has been busted up because he ran his motorcycle into a hill or whatever. And in that scene, he borrows his brother's beard trimmer and cuts the gauze and stuff off of his face. And you see all the horrible scars. And he says something like, what does he say? I've got more healing to do. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, but... You're, you're on your way there, yeah. and it'll give you more character. And then they are all staring directly into the camera as it happens. Right. It's it's exactly the opposite of subtle. <laughs> but at least we know that he didn't like fumble the ball in trying to hide meaning. It was obviously very intentional that he wanted that explicit statement said. I mean, everything in every Wes Anderson film is very intentional. True. But I'm just saying, if he half way did that explanation then it would be in an awkward in-between state of you're trying to get us to figure this out but you gave us too much and then in this one he just completely gave it to us so i'd say it's still better than that weird in-between state but still so you have these three main characters they're all three are brothers 
And before the movie uh, happens, well, actually during the movie as well, we see a flashback. Um, but their father dies, and he's hit by a taxi. And um, they, all three of them, are coping with this in their own way. And there's a there's a uh, prequel, there's a short film um, that was released the same year called Hotel che- uh, Chevalier, which is where Jason Schwartzman's character is before the events of the movie. And it's also, the, he writes a short story about it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a random cameo from Natalie Portman in Darjeeling Limited, and it turns out that she's in the short film because she's the homie's ex-girlfriend. I can't yeah. remember the character's names now. Well, that's yeah. fair. Francis? Jack was... Francis was Owen Wilson? Yeah. Francis Owen Wilson, and then... Peter is Adrian Peter. Burton. There it is. Yeah. So, they're all struggling their own ways, and, you know... Before the movie starts, Francis tries to kill himself. He runs his motorcycle into a hill. He, he says that he, it's, he lets it slip, basically. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens to him. And we don't, you don't know that till towards the end of the movie, that that's actually what happened to him. And we see these, this relationship trouble happening with Jack. And he just can't. He does not have a clear head about it. And um, uh, going back to um, Owen Wilson's character for a second, I think it's interesting how we talked about how, you know, Wes Anderson is very like intentional and he'll linger on things. But when Owen Wilson's character said that he did it on purpose, you just, you you almost miss it. Right. Like it's not something that gets lingered on. But there is that, there's just that brief moment where you actually see his brothers react to what he just said. Mm Right. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was good. Right, the shot lingers, the words don't. Right, I think is more. Anyway, Tristan, go ahead. So, so you, you have, you have, um, you have Jack, and he is like I said, he's struggling with um, his ex girlfriend, or maybe they were still together. It's just it's a confusing time for him. You see that in the movie with the um, woman who works on the train. And he, he's just having a really hard time in his own head about things and what he wants from life. And then there's Peter, and he's struggling with uh, the, the fact that he's having a child soon when he thought his relationship was failing or that it should fail. Mm-hmm. And he's not even explored that. There's something there that, for Peter, we don't even know really what the problem is, but it's obvious that there's an issue there and that he either can't trust himself or he doesn't trust her or he's just... Maybe there, maybe he hasn't processed something that we just don't know about yet. Yeah, I think what we're supposed to gather is that because his parents' relationship didn't work out, he went into his marriage expecting that it wouldn't work out. I think yeah, because yeah, he good. he hints to that. He says something about, um, I thought we'd get divorced. I don't know. Maybe it's the way we were raised and the house we grew That's up in. It. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so he lets us know that he. He probably is just disillusioned, doesn't think that those things can work out because that's what he saw in his own life. Yeah, and it's like he's headed in the direction of self-fulfilling prophecy. Like he went into the marriage expecting it not to work, so he's just going to let it not work. But then they were having a kid, and so now he's thinking, <laughs> I guess he's faced with with the, the, the precipice of real commitment after having actually committed to this woman. <laughs> yeah, so all of these things, you know throughout this trip there something happens to them in which they are able to to at least in part process what they've been going through or at least get that gear to start cranking in their own heads to where they can get to a point of healing 
and we even see that with their mother too and when at the end of the movie when they finally reach her and they just they get kicked off the train but they just go they get they get there they make it um and it's and it's hard to tell if she is healing or not or what what is going on because she's obviously hurting she keeps leaving them Mm -hmm. she moved to india and became a nun like something's wrong yeah (laughs) something happened you know so but maybe this is her way of of processing um and it's it's a family affair (laughs) and they just present family in a very real way in this movie and uh, one that hits close to home um i have two older brothers which is the same dynamic the three brothers in this movie and i when we were younger uh we went through just the way that brothers work the middle one was very mean to me the older one would stand up for me and then we got a little bit older and then we all started becoming friends and hanging out more and that was just partly the age gap and um so as we got older we all went separate ways because of college and all that and i didn't see them much for a few years um i saw them a couple times but now we make more proactive approaches because my oldest brother spencer he um was like we all need to hang out more and keep this relationship uh going so that uh, we can always have each other and not forget that and then i'm watching the movie and the oldest brother and that's thinking the same thing the oldest brother and the middle brother um, are having their own dynamic. I'm the youngest one, and Jason Schwartzman's character is the youngest and the shortest, which is also the same in our family uh, with me and my brothers. And um, just different dynamics between each of the brothers, and each one of them's during the movie, like keeping things from the other ones. My brother did not tell me he was having a baby until after he told my brother. And so. I don't know the reasons for a lot of things that happen in the relationships of three brothers specifically, but this movie captured a whole lot of them just on a lot more of a grand uh, spontaneous scale since they went to India and had a wacky misadventure. But yeah, that's just what this movie does really well. It captures how people actually experience life with one another. And I don't know if he asked groups of three brothers how their dynamic is, but I mean, he captured it perfectly, and um, I noticed that we're a lot more successful in all staying together than they are in the movie, but we haven't gone through the things they've gone through, and I can't help but think, if we did go through a similar experience, it actually might be extremely similar in our estrangement and not knowing how to talk to each other becoming wider if we would have some sort of family tragedy, tragedy, and like in this one, their mom just goes off runs away after the death of their father and their mom wasn't there much in the first place and so it's very different but just in the interactions with the brothers it's all very similar anytime we get together um there's like a hint of like awkwardness in there like anytime after you've spent time away from an old friend and then as we all start talking with each other then things start kind of melting back into how they usually are especially as we're growing up. So anyway, I think he captures the dynamic of family extremely well. Cool. Wes Anderson has at least one brother I saw on the Wikipedia page earlier. Tight. Another thing that they 
mentioned throughout the movie is this spiritual journey that they're supposedly on, or at least as Owen Wilson's character Francis likes to put it, is they're on a spiritual journey. That's why they're here. I think that's what he thinks needs to happen. Um, the, and he, he sorry to interrupt. No. He even comes up with an itinerary for their spiritual journey. Yeah. <laughs> so very oldest brother. I, I guess first question is like, what constitutes a what constitutes a spiritual journey, and did they go on one? That's a good question. That That is an interesting question, because it seems like, I mean, obviously it didn't go the way Francis wanted it to. In the end, he attempted to tear his laminated itinerary, and that didn't work, and he threw it away. But, you know, the, the gesture was symbolic anyway, and he, yeah. it was there. <laughs> um, I think unless you're part of a convent or any sort of a religious group of that sort that all goes on these journeys of self-discovery together, like in a very not spontaneous way, like it's just something they do, then you have more of a goal-centered expectation for what's going to happen. Then in these kinds of situations where you just have people who are having identity crisis and they want to go on a journey of self-discovery and a spiritual journey, then I think that's more, they don't even know what they're looking for and they're just trying things and seeing what will stick. And I think that's why things don't go according to plan because if you're going on a spiritual journey without being part of the spiritual group that they're kind of modeling it after, then you're probably going to be lost a lot. They didn't have any guides. He just uh, heard some stuff from a, do you say monk or guru? You said guru. From a guru that Owen Wilson uh, Francis met. And he's just basing it off of what he heard. So they don't even know what they're looking for. They just know that they're looking for something. Right. That's it. And they go to this place, India, where they think, that all the people go if they need to have a spiritual journey because it's India. You just hear about these things. You have the the gurus. You know what I mean? And that's it. They, they're trying to look for something that they don't know what it is. And aren't we all trying to do that? Like, what do we, what, what do we know we want in life? We don't really know until we find it. So I would say I think Owen Wilson has, or his character has, some sort of goal in mind that he wants to get to which I think kind of defeats the purpose of going on a spiritual journey. Because I think if you go on some any kind of spiritual journey with like the, the mindset that at the end of this, I want to be in this specific spot, you're kind of missing the point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I think anytime you go on a spiritual journey, it is about growth. like, And you don't always know what you're going to grow into. See, I number one, I do think that they went on a, ended up going on a spiritual journey. I don't think that that was Owen Wilson's or Francis's genuine motivation for this trip. Like at because the other two brothers do not know that they're going to see their mother at the end of this trip. Like that's the goal that he like that's the end of the itinerary. But he had intentionally leaves that part off of the printed itinerary. He puts TBD on there in order to hide that hide the destination for this journey from his brothers. So I think the whole spiritual journey thing was sort of a cover-up to try to get them to go because, like, Adrian Brody says it out loud. He's like, we wouldn't have come if we had known this is what we were going to do. So I, I think that it was a lie, but they ended up actually going on a spiritual journey and growing. Yeah, and they, they but they all still came because they... At some point, the brothers realized... This may be good for me to do this kind of thing. There's some small part of them, even though they fought and rebelled against it, like the first 
you know, three-fourths of the movie, the whole time, basically, eventually they got to the point of where they had this little spark in them that said, maybe we should go on this trip. I don't know. And then eventually hey, that grew. Yeah. And um, also, separate but interesting, but um, all these characters really fall into the archetypes of brothers, at least in the relationships I've seen. The oldest one, um, at some point, Francis said, well, it's that point whenever he's lying about the itinerary. He said, I just did it to protect you. I think that was a good Owen Wilson impression. (laughs) And um, so he's trying to protect them, but in doing so, he's being irresponsible. But he's the oldest, and so he thinks that he has the guidance that they need. Middle brother is the one who's challenging everything. That's uh, Peter in this movie. And he's just challenging everything. He's like, this is stupid. Why are we doing this? And then the youngest one is more of a peacekeeper. Like, come on, guys. why Why are we fighting? I just don't want that to happen anymore. and at one point that turns into macing them in the face yeah he's like i'm macing you to protect you he says, i love you but i'm gonna mace you in the face he yeah. does say that he said it? i had to do this Stop <laughs> yeah. including me. yeah so, yes oh i like that line yeah, a lot. so i mean that was just a separate thought i saw about the uh archetypes in the movie of i'm calling them archetypes because it's not just with me and my brothers i see it in other ones as well yeah francis also at one point goes did i raise us Kind of. And then he gets up and walks away from the yeah, table. Yeah, and then they just are like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and ignore it mostly. All right. Well, let's score this sucker. Uh, if this is your first time listening, uh, we use a 1 to 100 point scale. A You can kind of think of it like a, a grade scale in, in school. Uh, a, B, C, D, F. Uh, 100 means it's perfect. A 1 means that it is a piling, a steaming pile of turds. A piling turd of steams. Yes, that too. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Uh, so who wants to go first? Uh, me. All right, Elijah. 83. 83. Wow. Uh, I'm giving it a B. I, um, I'm still just figuring out how I feel about this whole Wes Anderson phase you guys are going through. But, um, even though the movie left me feeling a little fatigued and I was ready for it to be over 20 minutes before it was over, uh, I like it more after having talked about it with you guys. Nice. Yeah. I always love that from a conversation. Yeah, I think this is a good movie. Uh, for me, I think Wes Anderson films are always better after you kind of let them sit and mellow for a little while. Um, but Elijah, I'm kind of in the same boat you are. I'm going to give it an 82. It's good, but it's not a movie I think I'm going to find myself going back and watching over and over. It's good, though. Uh, this movie is in probably my top 40s, my American top 40s uh, movies, <laughs> and uh, it's in the 30s. I don't know. I haven't ranked it. It's not ranked. Let me just say that. But it's up there, and for that reason, I'm giving it a 92. Wow. Yeah, I like this movie a lot. It um, when I when I rewatched this movie recently, it like it a lot of like a lot of the reflecting is just what I've been doing a lot of recently. And it, it's it's just been it was really good to watch something where I felt validated in that way. Um, I did a book report on this back in college, and yeah, not a book report, a, a movie. I was about to say a you did a book report, report on a I movie. Guess, a movie report. That's my kind of class. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I've liked it for a little while, but I I really liked it when I rewatched it recently again. Well, um, unlike most of Wes Anderson movies, this one did not need to take a moment and breathe within my head. This time, I was just 
absorbing it and enjoying and reflecting it all as it was happening because it was such a direct uh, connection to my life. And so not just because of the connection just happening to be there, but also because I think it's a really good movie and I enjoy the choices they made, then that is a 90% from me. Um, Not one of my top movies of all time, but it is, I think, a very, very good movie and deserves that 90 right there. Uh, certainly not my favorite Wes Anderson movie. It is certainly not one of my favorite movies of all time. All right, Wade coming in hot with. Uh, I think that it is. <laughs> I think that it is a slightly above average movie. It is a good movie. It is not a movie that I would, you know, one Friday night sit down and say, guys, let's watch Darjeeling Limited. So I'm going to give it a 75. So you're saying it's not a party movie. Whoa. Yeah, I did. I, I, I would. I would. I give it a ninety-two. I would also not say it's a party movie. If we're doing party movie, that gets a fifty for me. Yeah, I, exactly. I do not. I do not love this movie. So, I, is it, so what about? Go ahead. I. I guess I just. It's like I said. I really don't care for the fact that he kind of departed from what I think is his usual subtlety in this movie. I just. I find that. I puts a bad puts a bad taste in my mouth because it's a Wes Anderson movie. I I use this as kind of a greater sort. That's not a real word, but you get what I mean. Um, it wasn't Wes Anderson enough for me, personally. Um, I don't think you would like Rushmore. Well, I haven't seen Rushmore, but I look forward to seeing it and hating it. Uh, no, is Rushmore the one about it's Jason Schwartzman and he is in love with his teacher? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't like Rushmore. Yeah, I've seen it. Don't like Rushmore. Oh. Correct. There you go. Um, he was 17. Still not as bad as Isle of Dogs. That's a big... Okay. Oh, agreed. So Wade's agreed. feelings on Wes Anderson are actually pretty mixed. That's what I, I'm getting. I, I, like it. I just really like him when he succeeds, and then when he crashes the plane, I'm really disappointed in him. And I don't feel like this was a plane crash. Don't get me wrong. I it's think this is a good skidded. movie. But we certainly... He did not take me to places like emotional places that I would like Wes Anderson to take me. So I will stick with my solid 75 slightly above average film. Tight. All right. Well, after plugging that into our patented scoreometer, <laughs> thank you. You actually got it in on time. <laughs> I was time. so ready this time. <laughs> How many times did it peak right then? Uh, once. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I keep that turned down. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, uh, after plugging that into our patented scoreometer, we get a final score of 84.4. So it is a solidly average or above average movie. That works for me. Yeah. And guys, I'm really excited about what we're watching next week. Ask me what we're watching. What are we watching next week? We are watching Taika Waititi's 2019 smash hit, Jojo Rabbit. Oh, Oh, yeah. I have not seen this, and multiple people have told me I will enjoy it. Me too. Uh, Seth Hall, shout out, uh, tells me every single time I see him. Yep, Seth, I know you're listening. Probably not. He's one that told me I I need to see Jojo Rabbit, um, and and just people who know me for random different reasons were like, have you seen Jojo Rabbit? (laughs) I think I would like it a lot. I'm excited. From what I've heard and the trailers and clips. Yeah, I am very excited to talk about this movie. Uh, I saw it for the first time pretty recently. Uh, but we'll get into that next week. Logan, Wade, thank you both for joining us. Did y'all have a good time? Yeah, we did. It was our pleasure. 
Yeah. I always love coming on to the podcast with you folks. All right. Well, thank you both for joining. Uh, thank everyone who's listening for listening. We love you guys. Y'all are great. Yeah. Uh, be sure to check us out on social media uh, at Vider Media. You can also check out our website, vitermedia.com, and wherever podcasts can be found. But until next time, I'm Ben. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. I'm Wade. I'm Logan. And this has been Setting the Skeen. Y'all have a great week. Uh-huh.